everyone. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you this morning. If you can, come take a seat. We're going to get started with this morning's message. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake. I'm one of the pastors here with Midtown Church, and so, uh, so glad that you decided to join us this morning. I know showing up at a, a new church or coming to church, if you haven't been in a church in a while, can always be a rather nerve-wracking thing, and so we appreciate the courage that you've taken to be here with us this morning. We look forward to getting to know you, but you picked a good Sunday to be here because we are starting a, a two-week series. Uh, two, two Sundays were spent talking on kind of the vision of our church, and uh, that might sound interesting to you or might sound really boring to you, but I'm actually very excited about talking about this because I kind of like our church. And because it's well, the reason we're talking about this is because our one-year anniversary is coming up next Sunday, which is kind of wild. But uh, I was just thinking about this this morning. This time last year, uh, there was a group of 38 of us that were on this Sunday uh, getting commissioned by another church here in Austin called Hill Country Bible Church Pflugerville. And we were, they brought us up on stage and we all had these candles and they lit the candles and we like walked out of the hall and it was like this kind of like moving moment, which also kind of sounds really cheesy. But at that time it was like, oh man, we're getting sent out as a church. And that church uh, was where a number of us, not all of that 38 had come from, but there's a number of us that had, had been a part of that church. And then Adam and I, uh, two pastors with our church, Midtown, uh, were both on staff at that church, and so they were sending us out to go start this new church. It was kind of a, a really big deal, and then uh, the very next Sunday, September 8, 2013, was our first Sunday here at Briker Woods as an uh, official church, and it was kind of this really big, really big, exciting thing. I was like incredibly nervous, and <laughs> it was like I didn't know if anyone was going to show up and all that stuff, but it was, it, it was, it was a very neat morning. And it all came about through uh, about 38 people that had, a, same, that had a, a, a like-minded dream. And that dream, we said, like, we actually, we, we put it down in writing, and then now it's up here. It, this was our dream, to see the day when every man, woman, and child in Austin hears the gospel from a person who loves them. And we said, man, if we could give our lives to something, this is what we would love to see happen that there would be a day when every man, woman, child in Austin hears the gospel from someone who loves them. And so we decided to plant a church here in central Austin. Now, some of y'all might ask, and I have been asked this a number of times over the course of this year, is like, really? Why start a church? Like, why start a church? Aren't there enough churches? Like, if you just drive down 45th Street, you're going to pass like four or five churches between Mopac and 35. Like, you're going to see tons of churches on, on the road. There's churches everywhere. Why, why start another church? And that's a great question. And then, honestly, the truth is that there aren't enough churches. Like, if, uh, you know, if you think about the church building, which is not the same thing as a church, but if you think just a church building, if everyone in Austin decided one day, you know what, I think I want to attend a church service, there wouldn't be enough but for like 20% of Austin to actually have a seat. So anyways, that's one thing. We need more churches. But it's, it's actually way more than that. See, because we weren't just trying to start a church building where you have seats where people could come sit if they chose to want to come and, and worship God or hear the Bible taught. No, we, we were trying to create a different kind of church, and that's why we started this church. And it's not different from all other churches. There are many churches that have this kind of mindset that I'm about to describe, but not all churches do. And we thought, man, in central Austin, there's a need for a church that's not just about, hey, let me open up the doors and see whoever wants to come, you can come. And we're all for that. Anyone's welcome here. <laughs> but we also know that in central Austin, there's only 3% of the people here that live here attend church on a regular basis. Only 3%. And so if we start a new church and we open up the doors and we put up our sign and we say, hey, come, only 3% are even going to be interested and those 3% are already going to a different church. And so we're not trying to get those people to come to our church. They're like, they're, stay in your church. That's a great church. There's great churches all around here. We're, we're pro all other of these churches around here. But the 97%, they're, they're not showing up just because we're here. They need a church they need the church in the sense of a people. They need the church to be a people that goes to them, builds a relationship with them, and does this last part right here, loves them. Because we know that people will hear the good news of the gospel best if they're hearing it from someone that they know loves them. The people will hear the incredible news of the gospel best if they're hearing it from someone they know they can trust. 
And so we say, man, we need, we need to be a people that are going to go to them and build relations with them where they know that we love them so that we can tell them the gospel and they would be willing to really hear it. And so this group of 38 people in that group, 15 households, some singles, some families, some families with kids, they actually packed up and moved from the suburbs of, of Austin into central Austin. 15 different people sold their homes and bought a home here or rented a home here so that they could start being around the people in central Austin so they can begin building relationships with those people and be spending time with those people, getting to know their neighbors' names and be able to get to tell them about the God who loves them and died for them and rose again so that they could have a life with him forever and ever through Christ. So that's, that's how this church came about. And that, and that, guys, I just think is really awesome. Like, I love that story. I think about that often, and I praise God for that. I guess it's really uh, an amazing story, isn't it? It's not often that people will be willing to, to sacrifice their where, living where, where they were, leaving what's comfortable, paying double for mortgage or for rent to live in another place just because they want a people that they love, central Austinites, to get to hear that God loves them. That's how this church came about. But I want to spend this morning talking about why. See, that's, that's the what, but why, why would that group do that? And why would we continue to do that? That over the course of this last year, we've gone from being a church of 38 people to a church around a little over 80 people. And that all of y'all are, are invited in to join us in seeing this day become a reality. But why would we do that? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today and next week, and I'm real excited about it. In fact, I'm going to get to talk on my favorite passage in the entire Bible today. You're going to learn a lot about me when you see what this is, what my favorite passage is, and so that should be insightful to you. But if you will, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 21. And uh, if, you, if you're following along on uh, electronic version of the Bible, pull up the NIV translation. Usually I preach out of the ESV, and uh, it's just a different translation of the Bible. This may or may not make any sense to you, but today I'm going with the NIV because that's the passage that I, um, that's the version or translation that I memorized when I was young, and it's, uh, just, it's hard for me to pre- preach this passage in, in the ESV. So there we go. Little aside there. But let me read, uh, let me read this and uh, I'm just going to kind of take it a statement at a time. It's just so good. Actually, before I do that, though, I do want to draw attention to who wrote this because uh, the context and understanding the author who wrote this makes this passage even more meaningful because the Apostle Paul wrote uh, sec- the, the letter Second Corinthians. It's the second letter to, that he wrote to the church of Corinth. Some think it actually was the third. They think one, one of his letters to the church of Corinth got lost. But anyways, it's called 2 Corinthians in our Bible. It's written by the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul is a historical figure. Like, no one debates that. Uh, no matter, li- like, liberal scholars, you know, very conservative, uh, Christian scholars, everyone across the board agrees uh, the Apostle Paul was a historical figure. Now, what's really interesting about the Apostle Paul is that when he shows up on the scene of history, he shows up not as a Christian, but as someone who is strongly, strongly, strongly opposed to Christianity. That the Apostle Paul, one of the first what times you see him, or actually the first time he's referenced in the Bible, Acts chapter 7, is that he's overseeing the stoning, the death of one of the very first Christians. And that he had this just drive to try to wipe out Christianity. He wanted to kill all the Christians or have them all arrested and locked up. So that, that's who's writing this. Now, what's wild is that in Acts chapter 9, and I encourage you to read it sometime this week. It's a great, it's just a great story. But Acts chapter 9, Jesus shows up. And he recruits Paul to his team, if you will. And it's like this really wild moment. But it's wild about Jesus that Jesus would confront Paul, the person who's been killing Christians, arresting Christians. And Jesus doesn't show up to say, Paul, uh (laughs) uh-oh, here I am and I'm God. And so now I'm going to kill you. Like you, you would think that might be something that Jesus would say to a guy who's opposing Christianity, this movement, all this stuff. But no, Jesus doesn't say that to him at all. Jesus recruits him to the team. He convinces Paul that he's real and then invites him to be used by Jesus for the good of tons and tons and tons of people. Paul 
ends up coming to Christ, coming to faith in Jesus. And then he doesn't just change to become a Jesus follower, but he comes, becomes a raving fan of Jesus and the church. And he goes out and he starts starting churches, planting churches like we did a year ago. And it's in this passage you get a little bit of insight into why he did that. So it's picking up in verse 14, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians, it says this, For Christ's love compels us. Now let me just stop right there. For Christ's love compels us. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, it's, it's for Christ's judgment that compels us. It's the wrath of God that compels me. It's, it's, to make, it's, it's making up for all the wrong that I did that compels me. It, it's the fear of God that compels me. And there are elements of all of those things that we, should, we can find compelling. But Paul's saying here, no, no, it's the love of Christ. It's Christ's love that compels me. Now, it's interesting, in the Greek, commentators have argued about this forever because it's, it's vague, whether Paul's talking about, is it, is it Jesus's love for Paul that compels him? Or is it Paul's love for Jesus that compels him? And it really is not clear what it is. And I think that Paul's purposeful in that. I think it's both. I think that Paul is saying, it's Jesus' love for me that compels me, and then I'm compelled to love Jesus, which leads me to obey Jesus. But when I'm obeying him, I'm realizing who it is that I'm obeying, and I can't believe that he loves me. And then that moves me to want to love him, and I'm just over and over, round and round, he goes compelled by the love of Christ. And he goes on to say, it's Christ's love that compels me, for I am convinced. And just again, to, to draw attention to this, but like, Paul wasn't convinced initially. Like, he wasn't neutral on Jesus he was anti-Jesus, and yet he says, okay, now I'm convinced. And this is what he says he's convinced of. He's convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. Now, this is a kind of a theological statement that Paul makes here. Well, let me try to sum it up succinctly. Basically, Paul is saying is that what he's convinced of is that Jesus died in our place. That we all, according to the Bible, according to the gospel, we all deserve to die. And that death isn't just a physical death, but it's an it's eternal spiritual death, a separation from God for all of eternity, that we all deserved to die because of our sin. But Jesus died in our place. That when Jesus went to the cross, he wasn't dying for himself. Jesus was God. He was without sin. He wasn't dying for himself. He was dying for all of us. And Paul says, that he's convinced that when Jesus died, we all died, meaning that we had all, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, then Jesus' death counts for you. You don't have to die. Jesus died. And that in Christ's death, it was as if you died. Your payment had been, was, your, your, your wages have been paid. And it's this incredible good news. In fact, it's such good news that he goes on to say, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now, here's what incredible good news this is. It's so good that it's compelled Paul, and he's, talk, he's speaking in the plural. He uses us a lot in this because he's talking not just for him, but for the group of guys that he's with that are starting start churches. And he says, it's compelled all of us to live for Christ. That this is how good this news is, is that Christ would die for us. That in Christ all died. And because Christ died and was raised to life, then we are moved to no longer live for ourselves, but to live for him. Not because he has to. Not in order that God would do something for him, but because God already did something. The most amazing thing ever for him. And in light of what Christ has done for him, he's compelled. In light of the love of Christ, he's compelled not to live for himself, but to live for the one that died for him. And like, that's so powerful. Because that's why we started this church. I mean, we are convinced, that group of 38, and if you've joined us over the course of this year, hopefully you would say the same thing, but we are convinced 
that one died for all, and therefore all died. And because he died for us, then we no longer want to live for ourselves. We're no longer uh, compelled to live for ourselves. Instead, we're compelled to live for him that died and rose again. See, it's Christ's love that compels us. The incredible news of the gospel is not that God waited for us to do something for him before he would do something for us. It's that God willingly, out of love, did the greatest thing he could possibly do for us before we had done anything for him. And even if we were not going to do anything for him. But because he loved us to that degree, that when you get that, when you understand that, it leaves you. It really does. It leaves you going, no way. No way. No way God would do that for me. There's like God, like God for me? Get out of here. That's incredible. I just, what? Really? Well, then how could I ever live for myself? Why would I ever do that? Like, I, I guess I could, but why would I? That's what should go through your head. That goes through the head of the person that gets that you've been loved in Christ to this degree. Not once you've done something for God, but before you ever did. And when you never would, he loved you in that way. And all of a sudden, you're compelled to say, well, I no longer want to live for myself. Why? How could I live a selfish life in light of how selflessly I've been loved by God himself? I want to live for the one who lived and died and lived again for me. And that's what Paul's saying. He's compelled by the love of Christ. Now keep, keep moving. Actually, I want to skip down to verse 18. He says this. Verse 18 says, All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now this word reconciled is a word I think we're all familiar with, maybe in a different kind of con- context. But in this sense, what Paul is drawing, uh, drawing out here is that between our, our relationship between us and God, there were irreconcilable differences, right? Like God is holy, and we, as the Bible says, are sinners. Sinners just means that we miss the mark. We come up short. We miss the mark of perfection. So God's perfect, and we're not perfect. God's holy, and we're not holy. And it means that God's like fire, and we are paper. It means that there's something between us that's completely irreconcilable. We don't mesh. We don't fit together. But God, as Paul says here, he wasn't okay with that. He wasn't content with that. See, God didn't just sit around waiting for us to try to make up for the fact that we are uh, irreconcilable. He didn't just say, okay, it's on you to fix what's broken between us. Because he knew that we never would and we never could. I mean, just think about it. Even if right now, somehow you were able to pull off living a completely perfect life, not just in your own eyes, but in the eyes of God for the rest of your life, then like, man, I want to know the secret to that. You tell me, tell me later if you were able to pull that off. But even if you were able to pull it off from right from here to, to the end of your life, you still, what are you going to do with everything from here to the beginning of your life? All the other times that you've messed up, all the other times that you've fallen short of perfection. See, there's something that has to be dealt with there. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And see, God did not sit there waiting for us to try to make amends to our irreconcilable relationship. But instead, God reconciled us to him through Jesus Christ. And the way that he did that is in verse 19. It says this, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. Did you hear that? 
not counting our sins against us. How? Because in Christ, we all died. See, Christ died for all of our sins. And because Christ died for the sins, then the sins were paid for. And since our sins are paid for in Christ, then God doesn't have to count our sins against us. He doesn't have to hold our sins against us because he himself, God himself, paid for those sins. Someone had to pay for them. Whenever there's a wrong done, then there has to be some kind of restitution. You can't just look the other way. Someone has to pay for the wrong that was done, either the one that was offended or the one that, uh, that was committing the offense can pay for the wrong that was done. And in this case, God said, I am the one that was offended, but I'm going to pay for that. And because I'm paying for your sins, I'm no longer going to hold your sins against you. And guys, here, here's what's so amazing about Like, this is such good news. It's incredible news. If you get this, if you get that God's no longer holding your sins against you, then you know what that means? One of the ramifications of that is, it means that you can also no longer hold your sins against you. It means that the stuff that you've done, that you're holding on to, that you've let identify you, that you can never seem to let go of or move past, you can let go of and you can move past. Unless, unless I guess, unless you have a higher standard than God does. But God himself is no longer holding your sins against you because Christ paid for them. And if Christ paid for them for you, then you can also no longer hold your sins against you. You can be free of that because it's incredible news, is it not? You know what it also means? It means that you can also no longer hold sins against the people who've done you wrong. Because you've been forgiven in Christ, you have now have the ability to let other people go in regards to the sins that they've committed. That you don't have to hold their sins against them because God is no longer holding their sins against them. And in that, God is not, Jesus has not just made a way for us to be reconciled to him, but he's also made a way for us to be reconciled to one another. That in Christ, God has done and perfected the ministry of reconciliation. And this is incredible news. I, I don't know anybody that rejects good news. And I think for you or for any, if you're in here and you would say that you're not a Christian, you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, or if you think about your neighbors or friends, your coworkers that have not put their faith in Christ, let me just say, like, I don't think it's because they have rejected this good news. I think they just haven't fully understood, understood it. Or they question if it's true. Because sometimes that's one of the things about good news. It often sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? And man, This is the greatest news of all time. It certainly can sound too good to be true. But when you understand it, you're not going to reject it. It's the greatest news ever. God died for you. God loves you so much that he died for you to pay for your sins, that he rose again, defeating death, so that you can have life with him forever and be reconciled to him and reconciled to one another and let yourself go of all of the things that you've been hanging on to that you've done wrong and say, I forgive myself too. Like To have that kind of freedom, that kind of life, that's incredible. Who doesn't want that? Everybody wants that. You just have to believe, is it actually true? And if you're here today and you're asking the question, man, I wish that that was true, but I just can't believe it's true because I've got these doubts about, like, how do I know that Jesus actually lived? How do I know that? How do I know that he, if he actually rose again? How do I know he was God? Like, if those are your questions, and I just tell you, please, please, please ask those questions. Ask the questions that you need to ask. Get the answers. Seek them out. Because if this is true, this is the greatest thing of all time. Don't you want it to be true? Find out if it is. But for those of us here that believe it's true, for those of us here that would say what Paul said, that I am convinced, then this love compels us, does it not? It compels us. To not just be reconciled, but then to enter in with God, to partner with God in the ministry of reconciliation. That's what Paul is building to here. 
Again, 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And so God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul is saying, in light of how I've been loved in Christ, I'm compelled to no longer live for myself, but live for the one who lived and died for me and then rose again. And I'm compelled, I'm moved to not just be reconciled, but to also declare to be God's instrument, to be his, his ambassador, to be his representative, to declare the message, to explain the message, to share the message, to implore people, to urge people to be reconciled to God. And guys, that's why we planted this church. Compelled by the love of God. Not in order to get God to love us. Not in order to get God to pay attention to us. Not in order to get God to hear our prayers or answer our prayers. Not to get God to bless us. We did it because we know that he already would do all of those things and way more. He not only would do those things, but then he would also die for us. And in light of that, how we've been loved by God, we say, man, I want want to live for him. And I want to tell people about him that they could know that he loves them like that. And so we started this church. What it means, guys, to do the ministry of reconciliation is that the word ministry there is actually not a really good translation from the Greek because it's not it doesn't really carry the context of some kind of really religious term. When we hear the word ministry, we probably think about like stuff that we would just say is church related or maybe even professional like you think about me or you think about the pope or something like that. Like that's those are the people who do ministry, but that's not the term. The the term that that, that she's using here is just simply could be translated task task or responsibility and that God has entrusted us with the task the responsibility to implore people to be reconciled to God he sums all the, I guess to sum all of this up I would say that what Paul is saying here is that we're we're compelled by the love of God to urge people to be reconciled to God. We're, we're compelled by the love of Christ to urge people to be reconciled to Christ. And again, not to get something from God, but in light of his love, how he's loved us, that they would know that God's also loved them and that they too could be reconciled to God. And guys, that is a big, big element, motivation of this church plant. It's a lot of the heart behind it. It's why Midtown Church exists. We have been loved by God. We've been served by God to the greatest extent. He died for us. He rose again. And so we, as we say here, are compelled to love and serve Austin with God. We allow God to make his appeal through us. Be reconciled to God. Many of your friends, and perhaps some of you have said this yourself, but you've thought, man, I just wish that, like, if this was all true, and if God really loves me that much, I wish he would just tell me. Like, I wish he would just tell me. Like, I wish there was just a voice from God that he would speak to me. Guys, from this passage, what we see is that God is telling you. He's telling you. He's telling your friends. But it's not by a direct voice, but it's still from him. See, God's given us this ministry of reconciliation. He's making his appeal through us. Through us. 
And anyone who's ever called you to be reconciled to God, or any time you've called someone to be reconciled to God, you were speaking on the behalf of God. God was the one who was saying what you were saying. He was the one driving that message. He is the one who was calling that person or calling you to be reconciled because he loves you so much that he died for you and rose again. May that move us. May that compel us to live for him and no longer for ourselves. That has affected every part of our church. And I just wanted to lay that out for you. And and really, before I wrap up this morning, what I'd like to do is just kind of quickly turn a little bit of a corner here and just say, like, practically speaking, for us as a church, how does that impact all that we do? And, and I don't have time to talk through every aspect. And so what I'd like to do is just quickly lay out three important ways. And really, they're, they're fleshed out in our three key environments as a church. I don't know if environment is the best word to use, but I can, that's kind of the word we've landed on. We talk about our Sunday morning worship time. That's, an, that's a key environment for us as a church. But we also have two other key environments, what we refer to as our Midtown Communities, our MCs for short, and our Huddles. And so those are our three key environments, and those are all, they all exist to help us be compelled by the love of God to urge people to be reconciled to God. I think about Sunday mornings, what are we, what are we doing here? Well, we're, we're, here to, we're here to worship together as a family. And our hope is that this time God is honored, God's receiving the praise. We encourage you when you come here, that one of the big questions you ask is not, hey, was that good or not for me, but was that good or not for God? And you have a role to play in that. When you, sit, when you are here and we're singing, your heart, your response to God, you, you singing things together, those are all opportunities for you to worship God and to participate in that. When you're hearing the message, for you to be receiving it and, and thinking about it, asking God, God, what are you saying to me through this? And what should I do as a result of this? Those are all ways that you participate in the worship of God. And so we, we say, man, the Sunday is our time, but we gather together as a family to worship God. But we also have a couple other things that we're hoping happens on the, uh, during this time. One of them is that for the Christians here, that you feel spurred on in your faith, that you feel encouraged. We, we, because we think that the greatest message of all time and the thing that really is going to compel us to live for God is the gospel. Every Sunday, you'll see, we preach the gospel. We tie things back to the gospel. We believe that we, what we need is the gospel as Christians. We need to believe it and let it impact every part of our life. And so we talk about that, and we hope that you're spurred on in your faith and encouraged and refreshed and ready to go live out what you believe compelled by the love of God. For, the, for those that are seeking, then you might consider yourself a, not a Christian or someone that's exploring, that we, we want Sundays to be a, a very helpful time for you. And so we also use some of our time to talk about things that you might not know about the faith or to give some kind of historical reasoning of why we believe this and things like that. So we hope that this is time for you to also just to experience Christian community and Christian worship, to get a, get a, have, have a front seat, fly on the wall, whatever you want to say, view of what this is all about. And so we always are so excited that you're here and want you to feel like you're welcome here, even if you might not believe anything I'm saying. I talked to a guy uh, earlier this spring. He said, I don't, he said, I really enjoy our church. I really enjoy Midtown Church, but I don't believe this. In fact, I, I, uh, I, I don't agree with about 80% of everything you say. <laughs> I said, man, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> Thanks for not emailing me everything that you disagree with. But I want to talk about it, and I do. So that's Sunday mornings. Also, our MCs, second key environment is our church. And our MCs, our Midtown communities, it's that what drives us to do MCs is that we want to see people reconcile to God. And we know that the 97% of people in Central Austin who do not attend church regularly that showing up on a Sunday morning worship service to hear someone teach and to sing is, feels like, mm, I don't know if that's my first step into exploring Christianity. It feels very intimidating for them. So we want to create a space where we, they can get connected and we as Christians can connect and be community, have fun together, 
but also have a space for there to be an ongoing dialogue, a space where there's some teaching, but very little, but enough to where you get a conversation going, and then you have a conversation, and everybody can voice their thoughts or their questions, where there can be a discussion. With our MCs, we want to create a space where people who do not believe what we believe or are not connected to a church can get connected to Christian community and ask questions and explore the faith with people that will love them. This fall, we're going to do uh, four weeks uh, in our MCs talking about the resurrection. We're going to do four weeks talking about, did Jesus really live, die, and rise again? And we're going to have a conversation on that. And we want you, if you're a part of our church, to be there at our MCs. And I want you to invite as many people as you have in your life that you think, man, this could be helpful for them. To be able to enter into this conversation and talk about really what is the essence of the Christian faith. We're going to start that at the end of September, so I'm really excited about that. And then after that, we're going to do four more weeks uh, after a small break talking about some four key, key hard teachings that Jesus taught. What did he mean by those, and why did he say that, and what are the ramifications of those things? And we're going to open our Bibles, and we're going to talk about what Jesus said, but it's going to be a conversation, and we want you to feel free to be there for that and to invite people into it. It's an opportunity for people to get exposed to Christian community, and to the Christian faith so that we can have the opportunity to urge them, not with pressure, but out of love, to be reconciled to God. Our final key environment is our huddles, and our huddles is is our fancy terminology for a discipleship group. Groups about three to five in size, where primarily for Christians to be uh, encouraged in their faith and supported to be spurred on and to be able to have people who really know what's going on in their lives, to be able to be uh, pressed in to the gospel so that they're compelled to live in light of it. Huddles are an extremely important element to our church because that's where Christians are really exposed in a very personal way to be compelled by the love of God. We also have huddles for non-Christians, and it's even a more uh, intimate environment that if you have questions about the faith and you want to just get together with one or two or three other people just to talk about about Christianity and really get your questions answered in a real specific way, then we have huddles for you as well. And so those, but all of those environments, Sunday worship, MCs, our huddles, you can say, man, what we're after is we want to be compelled by the love of God and urge people to be reconciled to God. For the Christians, we need to be continue to be compelled to continue to get what God has done for us. We would continue to fall in love with him. And then we can help others know what God has done for them, that they too may fall in love with him. It's been a, a neat year this year. Never planted a church before. Messed up a number of times along the way. There's things I would have done differently, but it's, God has been really with us. And it's been an exciting year. I can't wait for this next year, and especially in light of when I think about the stuff that God's done over this past year. And so what I wanted to do is um, just give you all kind of insight into that. As I've asked a couple of friends to come up this morning and just share briefly, but just share what kind of impact this church has had in their life over the course of this past year, um, what God's basically been doing. And so uh, first guy I want to invite up is James. James, will you come on up? Okay, this, this needs to be awesome. No pressure. No pressure. But just <laughs> tough act to follow, right? <laughs> you know, something that stuck out to me a, a moment ago is he said, uh, you know, there's, it's too good to be true. Have you guys ever thought about that phrase for a second? I mean, how ridiculous is that? Why can't something good be true, right? It's kind of like with that other phrase, kill two birds with one stone. Last time I checked, there's no shortage of stones outside. <laughs> you know, I, I came across this church through a bicycle, in fact. Um, and this is a couple or a few years ago, and I, I bought a bike off of Craigslist from a guy down on the south side. I was talking to him. I just moved here from the South Houston area, and uh, you know I, we we just kind of clicked, and we got to talking a little bit more. And he was asking me what I was doing here, and I, I I told him as far as work, my family. I also told him that I was interested in furthering my spiritual walk. He said, "Well, it just turns out that I am developing a church here." And he goes, I'm, I'm pretty far south from where you are, 
but I do know some people that live pretty close to you that are doing the same thing. And so he gave me Adam's number. And so I called Adam, and uh, you know, we met at the monkey nest down the street. And uh, honestly, one of the reasons that kept me coming back was his stylish man hug. He does like this pause, I don't know, like this 70s dance move when he comes in. If you guys are familiar, look, everybody's, everybody's gotten the stylish man hug, knows what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> there he is. I'm still, le- I can't, I mean, he, he's, he's got the move all his own. I, I, I can't duplicate. Brother's got some soul. Anyway, so from there, I mean, he's invited me over to his house. And, I mean, it started out three, five, six people. I, I learned or I, I met some of the women of Midtown, the cutthroat women of Midtown playing Bunko. And, I mean, <laughs> man, I, I don't know if I'm ever going to do that again. <laughs> it was kind of fun. I'm just teasing. <laughs> but, I mean, they, they, they welcomed me there with open arms. Um, you know, from there, I also met Jacob and Faith picking up a I don't even know this this funky Tetris or uh, tetanus infested mattress out of a creek at mm-hmm. uh, the park in Hyde the Park. park is, yep, you know that I mean that what was neat about that is the the church kind of rallied as a group and they they went over there to clean up a park. There's no affiliation with the church whatsoever, but it does have an affiliation with the community. Would you guys agree? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know I, I can't even tell you how many times I've sat down and I've had a beer with uh, you know Adam and Friar Tuck here and talked about. <laughs> You know, my spirituality and my walk, and, you know, that I, I know that every time I talk to them, going through some of the, the challenges that I've had in my life, you know, they, they looked me in the eye, and they, I mean, you can re-compassion somebody, right? And I know that I, I'm not alone in having those discussions with some of the leaders of, of this church. And what's neat about that is the emotional burden that they've taken on to create the, the relationships that they've had with, with some of the people in here. I know that's got to be tough. And I'm so thankful to be a part of an organization that takes on that challenge themselves and then wants to grow from it. You know, something that's neat, uh, one of my favorite quotes is, you know, a leader that thinks that they're a leader and then turns around, there's nobody behind him, is only taking a walk, right? <laughs> I've seen this church grow from three to five to six people in a house to, I mean, this is probably one of the, the larger attendants that I've seen on a Sunday morning, and it's 100 degrees outside, but people are coming here. Why do you think that is? Because of relationships. You know, I, I look over here on this board, and I realize that words say pretty easy, but actions scream, right? And I think a great testament of that is, you know, I once heard the difference between success and significance is creating yourself and others, or duplicating yourself, or creating a movement. And, you know, a, a great example of this would be, you know, getting introduced to Brent. You know, I remember Adam, I just started running, it was probably I could maybe do a, a one mile or so. And he goes, oh, yeah, I know this guy that runs, and, you know, you, you guys might, you know, hit it off and, and have some fun running. And so I called him up. First time I meet him, I'm like, hey, you know, I just started, you know, running. I could maybe do a mile. I was feeling pretty good about myself. He goes, okay, you know, we'll take it easy. Well, three miles later. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I've had a relationship with this guy ever since. And just to kind of, you know, wrap, wrap things up, um, something that happened recently that, that speaks volumes to me as far as feeling like you're a part of a family as I we went over to, to Jeremy's house and he invited some of us over for cigars and, and a beer and whatnot. And I showed up and I have pants on, right? And I'm sitting there and, and they're, I mean, we're in the, on the back porch and I mean, just sweating. And I mean, it's hot. And I mean, I, I know that it wasn't said, but it was implied, but he kind of looked at me and, you know, he, um, he said, hey, do you, you know, do you want to take your pants off? <laughs> As, as long as, you know, there, you got something underneath there. <laughs> that was the implied part. And, and so I, I did. I, we, we sat outside. I've got my boxers on. You know, I, I'm having a beer, and we're having a discussion. And you know what that reminded me of? It reminded me of, of a Saturday morning waking up, you know, and having my sister and my brother there, you know, in my boxers or at the, at the time probably like He-Man, Tidy Whities, eating, eating my Cheerios. And that reminds me of this. You know, being a part of a family. Anyway, I'm so thankful for being here, guys, and, and thankful for having the, the mentorship that, that I do. Thanks, Jake. Absolutely. Thanks, James. Appreciate that, man. Steve, come on up. <laughs> that, that was awesome and quite memorable. Have, have fun topping that one. Thanks. He stole the Friar Tuck line. Um, <laughs> 
I'm Steve, for, for y'all that don't know. Um, I'll give you a little bit of background. So I'm from Minnesota originally. I grew up in a small town there, and I was raised Catholic. So kind of a by-the-book type Catholic experience. And um, that continued middle school and high school. I was very involved with our church. Um, but as I kind of got older, it became, for me at least, more going through the motions, I would say, than like actually kind of experiencing and enjoying church. So when Virginia and I, um, my wife Virginia and I, were talking to Jake and Krista this past year, um, and they talked about Midtown and possibly coming here and experiencing some of those environments that Jake was talking about, I was a bit skeptical. So I kind of expected a lot of the same, and Jake talked a lot about it today, of how it's really kind of a different experience. And I know I'm not the most avid believer yet, and I'm not probably the best person, but Midtown's had an incredibly positive experience and impact on me, my life, um, both spiritually, um, kind of reopening a lot of what didn't exist or kind of was laying dormant for a while. Um, I mean, in college, I just kind of stopped altogether talking to God and going to church. Um, so it's been great. Um, and Virginia and I were talking about this today um, and kind of our experience with Midtown. And one of the things that really struck me um, is that the community. So I remember when Jake first started talking about church versus community and I'm just really thankful that we have all, such a great community, um, and as our family and community expands, that we have such a great support system, and we've got people like Jake and Adam that we can ask all of the, the crazy questions, and I think I was the person with the 80% you were talking about earlier. Maybe. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> um, <laughs> But it's, I mean, it's helpful. You actually weren't, but it's good to know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it's just, when I was thinking about what to say this week, like thankfulness is the main thing that I kept thinking of and thankful for having this community. So that's it. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate that, man. Nolan, will you you come? Nolan's the uh, last I asked to come share a couple things. Thanks, okay. thanks for being here. Hello. <laughs> okay, I don't know how to talk in this thing. Um, so my name's Nolan. I'm from the Seattle area. Um, came here in January. So I'm very new to Austin. Um, I found Kristen and Michael. Michael, raise your hand. He's, he's awesome. I'm so grateful for them opening their home to me. Um, Found them on Craigslist, and they left a key for me under the doormat, like, and they weren't even home when I moved in. They had just, I waited a couple hours alone, and they were just so trusting. I, I, I love them, and I, I, uh, through Kristen, um, we, I met Karen, uh, and she told us about Midtown, so she invited us over for Brussels sprout, lovely Brussels sprouts, and wine, and, <laughs> I don't know, cheese, and she told us about Midtown, and she's like, you know, when I moved to Austin, it was wild time, like, and they instantly offered help for moving. I can't remember all, but she was, like, it was instant family, like, for you, and I was really drawn to that because I left my family, and I knew no one in, in Austin, so basically, I had, um, no, anyways, I'm getting caught up. Um, (laughs) I am also, like, I came to Christ a year and a half ago, or basically a year ago, June. Um, It's been a process of me being skeptical, and um, just, I started talking to God just on a walk while I ride my bike. Um, It doesn't feel really, like, official to me, like, when I pray, it's like, anyways, one time, summer, my huddle leader was like, that's okay, that's okay, like, God loves that, and I feel so encouraged by just the 
people I talk to here. Like, I feel comfortable. I can be myself. Like, I'm new at this, and, and it's okay. So, anyways, um, flash forward to March when I started coming here. I was instantly drawn to the love and the, the sense of community uh, through the, the MC, the central MC at Jake. Oh, I don't know. The first one I went to was at... Um, Justin's. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I was just drawn to the people and um, was just really excited to be in community and to make friends. Like being in a new place, it's hard. Um, felt welcomed and loved. And anyways, um, it's been a fun, fun time. Um, I've, lear I've learned a lot about God and I learned a lot about myself, like, um, serving is really, it makes me happy. Like, I came to Austin for a service-oriented job, working for a nonprofit that we build houses for low-income families. It is hard, um, and it's, um, it's not the greatest, like, but Midtown, like, just has changed my, like, heart, and I, I want to be more involved with Midtown, and so, um, it's just been fun to like do little things like baking, for instance. Like I baked one day, and I love baking, but <laughs> baking by your, for yourself is horrible. Like I, I eat too much and I feel sick. So sharing is is awesome. And then getting involved with the children's ministry and nursery, like it's a great opportunity to just um, dive into the curriculum and, and read for myself. Like go back to the the Bible, just. Um, learn as I go and make more of it. So mm -hmm. I'm just really excited and I feel encouraged and um, I don't know what else to say. I just that really was, thankful That was for really you. great. Yeah. Thank you, Mama. Thank you so much. <laughs> I, I love hearing those stories, guys. It's all, all praise to God. Like he's building this church. And it's, it's, it's happening because of how he loved us, compelled by his love to, to urge people to be reconciled to him. We, we are uh, crafted by his love into a family. We're a family. We're brothers and sisters because of what Christ has done for us. And because of what Christ has done for us, we're adopted in the family of God. Like, all of this is because of what God has done. And so praise, praise be to him. We're going to uh, end up, uh, wrap up our time by uh, spending some time in worship I also want to give you an opportunity to come up and take communion during this time. And so you can just, uh, whenever you feel led, come up here and, and uh, do that. And as you do that, and as the band sets up, uh, the verse I want to have you to have in your mind is the verse that Paul ends with here. He says, We implore you in Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. God made him, talking about Jesus, God made him, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But that's the gospel. That on the cross, Christ's body was broken and his blood was spilled for us. That on the cross, he who had no sin became sin for us. He took on the sins of the entire world. He took on your sin. He took on my sin. So that in him, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, then we take on his righteousness and we're made into a new creation. And it's incredible. May you be compelled by that love. And then you take communion now, may you remember how you've been loved in that way. Mm -hmm.